everybody, and welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined by a resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing? I'm glad that we're, I think we're kind of back to some sense of schedule. Don't say it. With these, after... Uh, you said it. I, I had to. You said it. I, I had to. Uh, I don't know what will now. come through. Uh I think we're done with winter weather, at least for a little while. So there'll be a flood Speak or for something. yourself, man. Every other week in Oklahoma is... Do you know we're getting snow Thursday, Friday? <laughs> it's insane. Uh, but I hope we're done. But now now come tornadoes for me. And I live in... Yeah, the, we don't... I live in Tornado Alley now. <laughs> I mean, so. we get some of those down here, but they're normally a little bit north of where I am, so... Uh, I, I do have a really good shelter at my house, so maybe some future episode to stay on schedule will be, uh, from the inside shelter, inside the shelter. That would be cool. I'm down for going that. on. Yeah. Cause it doesn't affect me. So if, <laughs> yeah, if you want to record down for it all <laughs> from the shelter, I'm all, I'm all for that. I won't complain. Um, we've got a, the notes. Uh, the well, we've got we've got tons of news today. By the way, uh, happy daylight savings time, spring forward uh, for everybody. By the way, hope you're recovered by now. I'm not, as we're recording this on the Wednesday following. I'm still. By the, it has wrecked me. By the <laughs> way, it, have have you heard it? Appears we're maybe getting close to not having. Uh, do yes. daylight savings at least Sunshine in a year protection act or something like that's that. that's the the we'll go through the cycle one more time if it passes so everything everyone can be prepared for it and then it just would stop which i'm all for i i am too i am too so we'll, i don't know we'll see. i don't know who's not i'm sure there's um, there's people a out there's there. a few but i haven't seen any like all I've seen are maybe I'm one of the only few people that like daylight savings, but I've never seen compelling like arguments for why it's cool. I and think it's sunshine protection act. Who doesn't want to protect the sunshine? I'm all for protecting the sunshine so that I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> Great naming. Um, speaking of, uh, speaking of naming, I, I don't know that we'll call it great. If you're seeing the title of this episode, uh, or the show notes. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, New Creation Theology Part 1, an overview of the biblical story. I had to ask Spencer, I said, is this part one of the overview? Uh, he said no. Uh, this is this is part one of what Spencer and I talked about will be like legitimately like 14, probably. This is going to be our longest series. I think I can say that for sure. Yes. The longest series that we have done. Uh, so far, which is good. It's warranted uh, with the subject. Uh, it also has for a number of reasons, uh, and we'll get into some of that here in just a moment. Uh, but before we get into the actual topic leading into all of it and everything like that, we want to tell you uh, that instead of just this podcast, uh, we're going to be bringing in some additional content, things that are written and otherwise uh, at our new website. We have a website. Uh, thinkingtheologically.org. 
thinkingtheologically.org, and we'll have hopefully stuff every every week, uh, either written by us or uh, at least on our Facebook page. And if you are if you already have liked and followed the Strong Church Facebook page, this is what that is uh, just shifting over to. That was what I had been doing for several years, kind of took the last year and a half off, uh, but this podcast sprang up within that, uh, and now we're focusing everything uh, towards this and the stuff that we talk about here. So if you already follow that page, you'll be good to go. It will be called Thinking Theology, Thinking Theologically here very soon. Uh, so if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, there are links on the website to that page so you can get other content more than just what we write and say, but stuff from other people that we think is theologically valuable uh, for uh, our life, for what we're dealing with in the culture and all of that. Uh, but in addition to the podcast, you'll also be getting our show notes with those. I'll be backdating the uh, the previous episodes, so all of that stuff will be contained there. Uh, and it gives us an outlet for those of you that have been asking us questions uh, that maybe, especially now that we're starting this subject, it'll be, you know, a year before we get to anybody's questions. <laughs> um, we can address some of those things, maybe in shorter form articles and, and stuff like that. So we're excited about it. Hope you're excited about it. Thinkingtheologically.org. And as always, you can still get a hold of us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com with questions or comments or any of that. Uh, our podcast will still be everywhere that you get your podcasts. And we'd still love to hear from you on Facebook, either our personal pages or that Facebook page now. <clears throat> and Spencer is still on Twitter. Yes. We're not, <laughs> we won't be doing a Thinking Theologically Twitter page. Uh, but, but you can Spencer's there follow me on <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> uh, but yeah go uh, like Jack said go check out uh, Facebook page website there's a lot of good stuff that we're gonna have there I'm, I'm excited about uh, some of the stuff we're going to be having come out in addition to and especially starting out to supplement what we're doing on the the podcast. Yeah, um, some of our first articles are going to be covering uh, the Gospels, uh, some things that Spencer had written. We we did podcasts on those, but this is going to be a little bit uh, more of a, a easier breakdown of all of those things and uh, something good for you to kind of just use, read through pretty quick and, and uh, bolster what you got from the, the podcast episodes, hopefully. So yeah, it, it's given us a lot of opportunity to do some some good things, and uh, hopefully even more in the future. So looking Especially, forward to Especially, I'll say, we've got in a month, I believe, a month from tomorrow is Easter. Yes. Uh, I think. It, April uh, 17th, uh, yeah, 17th, I believe, is, is Easter. So uh, we've got some of those first articles, like you mentioned, the gospel, specifically the resurrection accounts. Um go kind of perfectly with this time of year as we get ready to begin thinking about the the resurrection. Um, think about how the different gospel authors think about the resurrection and some of the things that the different authors highlight. Um, so, yeah. So visit there the, you go. like the Facebook page, visit the website, tell other people about us, and uh, please share those things. It would be super helpful uh, for us as we try to help others uh, think 
theologically. Okay, let's think theologically about a topic that's going to dominate our episodes for quite some time here. A new creation theology. Spencer, where do you want to start with this massive discussion that will literally take us from Genesis to Revelation <laughs> and everywhere in between? Well, I, I, I think the place we have to start is thinking about the idea of stories. This is something that at least briefly we've mentioned before in different episodes. And that is as as human beings, we all live as a part of some bigger story. That's how we organize our lives, how we make decisions, how we live. It's what story we believe ourselves to be a part of, right? We have stories within our families, our, our, our family story, which is where you find things that you value, things that are important to you. Um, I think one way to think about that is like traditions. Every family around Christmas, for example, or Thanksgiving, holidays like that, we have traditions and a lot of those traditions only have any significance within your family, right? Mm. It doesn't make sense to anybody else. And that's because of the story that you're a part of. Your family has a story. You started doing that tradition at some point. That's where it gained its meaning from. And that's why you continue to do it. And it continues to be important to you. Uh, we have stories that big groups of people become a part of. Uh, you, as Americans, we live a part of an American story. We have something that we believe about our heritage, where we've come from, what we value, um, things like that. And, and it determines the way that we live. And so all of us as, as human beings live as a part of of some bigger story. And normally we have multiple stories playing a role on our lives and God has a story as well. And what the Bible does is it witnesses to God's story. Specifically, it witnesses to God's activity with his creation. We've talked about that before. The, the Bible isn't primarily a law book. It has laws in it. It's not primarily a history book, even though there's some history in it. It's not primarily a book of good stories, even though there are plenty of good stories in the Bible. Uh, but what the writers are doing is they're witnessing to, as best as they can, the way that God interacts in the world, the way that God interacts with his people. Uh, so the Old Testament, for example, is in essence the story of God's interactions with Israel. That's what makes up most of the Old Testament. The Gospels are God's interaction with the world through Jesus, so on and so forth. And so that's what the Bible's doing. It's witnessing to God's interactions with the world. And from that, we begin to piece together God's story. And God's story begins with the creation of the cosmos. It begins with the creation of everything in Genesis 1. And the story, God's story, ends with what we call heaven. Uh, we see an image of that, for example, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And so God's story begins with creation. It ends with what we call heaven. I think most of us understand that. Most of us believe that, that that's 
God's story. And the pinnacle of that story or the center point of that story is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is what makes that entire story make sense. It's what the entire story kind of circles around. And we'll get back to that idea of a of a circle later on. We've mentioned that before in, in previous episodes. But yeah. uh, Jesus is the the center point of that story. And so that's important because our lives as Christians are dependent upon this story. Because when we make a decision to follow Jesus, when we make a decision to become a Christian, what we're doing is we're making ourselves characters in God's bigger story. Our story becomes God's story. And so everything that we do as followers of Jesus becomes dependent upon God's larger story. The way that we live, the way that we think, as we mentioned, all of our lives becomes a part of this story that we are now characters in. And so because of that, it's so crucial for us as as Christians to ask the question, well, what is God's story? If scripture witnesses to God's story and the way that we live and orient our lives as Christians is as characters in God's story, it makes sense that an important question for us to ask is what is that story? What story are we now characters in as followers of Jesus? What story is it that ought to determine the way that we think and the way that we live? And so that's in essence the question that we're going to begin asking in this episode and through, you know, the 15 million parts that we'll probably be doing is asking the question of what is God's story, particularly how that story uh, ends. And the reason for particularly asking, well, how does God's story end is because there's been quite a bit of debate particularly within our little our tribe of churches of Christ as to the nature of the ending of God's story how does the story end how does scripture present the ending of the story as i said m- most of us are on the same page that it begins with creation and it ends with heaven but the question in the debate has been around, well, what is heaven? What what do we mean when we say the word heaven? What does scripture mean when it talks about this idea of heaven, this idea of the end? What What is heaven? Uh, where will heaven be? Uh, will heaven be on this earth? Will heaven be on a new earth? Will heaven be on uh, in a kind of disembodied spiritual type of of realm uh, what is heaven how does god's story end and so that's kind of the question we're hoping to to address we're hoping to uh, try to to answer at least give our thoughts and opinions about what scripture teaches about heaven what scripture teaches about the ending of the story and that's important again because it determines how we live as characters in the story and and as we uh do that uh, what we're going to try to do is simply allow Scripture, allow the biblical story to determine the way that we answer this 
question or any question about God's story is let Scripture, as it unfolds that story before us, answer uh, those questions. And so in this first episode, our hope's going to kind of be to give a bit of an overview of what our understanding is about God's story as presented to us in Scripture. And then in the subsequent episodes to kind of, I guess you could say, dive into the weeds a little bit, go more in depth, look at specific passages in larger detail as they address this question of, well, what is God's story? Particularly, how does that story end? What are we moving to uh, as characters in God's story? Before we get into our um, into our overview here, what Spencer said just a moment ago of uh, that there's been debate uh, within churches of Christ. There's uh, that's that's part of why. Uh, aside from the fact that this is just a dense subject anyway, as you'll see today, uh, we're talking about uh, several passages that are pretty major. But it, I mean, we're we're going to make the case, I hope, well, uh, that this is a very prominent theme throughout Scripture in more than just the passages we're going to overview today. Uh, there are a lot of other places here and there all throughout the Bible that point to this idea or call back to the beginning or look forward to the end and all of that. So it's just dense subject matter, number one. But number two, there has been debate, and that brings with it uh, biases, misconceptions, ideas already brought to the table with the subject. And so to some degree, there is a uh, an undoing of that and trying to figure out, trying to encourage you just, to, hey, as much as you can, Try to listen to this as a as a blank slate, uh, and then then we'll work through the the misconceptions and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, even disfellowshipping and fighting over this issue, just like very very rough conversations uh, in very public ways over this. And I've got friends who have had a lot of trouble. Uh, because they believe a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, if not all of it. And so uh, so we want to take time with it and lay it out and make it very clear that this is us looking at Scripture. This is not us being told by uh, some scholar here, some other scholars, uh, though we're aware of them. Um, it's not us just following a popular idea. It's not us following some scholar. It's not a new idea. It's not a Jehovah's Witness idea. We're looking into Scripture, trying to follow what it says and what the big picture is, and as Spencer said, what the story is. So we'll give an overview, deep dive. Please message us uh, in at our email or on Facebook. Uh, get a hold of us and say, okay, you mentioned this. Can you make sure you focus in on this? In a, in a later episode, and we will absolutely do it. We're going to take all the time that we need with this. He says, as he th- is looking at the time of our recording and going, we've got a lot to overview. So <laughs> just wanted to say all of that. Uh, that's why we're giving it so much room to, to breathe here, because it needs it, uh, both because of the subject matter and because of what we bring to the table uh, with all of this. So with all that being said, Uh, Spencer, I imagine you want to begin at the beginning here, uh, starting in Genesis with 
uh, new creation theology. So uh, where, where do you want us to focus in on as we go into our overview here? Well, to make sense of a story, it typically makes sense to begin at the beginning of the story. Now, that's not the way every story begins, but most stories begin at the beginning and you move from the beginning to the end. And so it kind of makes sense that that's where we'll start. And so the biblical story and so God's story begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 1. Most of us, most people in general, Christian, non-Christian, know how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how God's story begins. And then it were preceded in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to give an account of this creation, an account of God's creating of the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, after each day of creation, God says that what he has created is good. And then following his creation of humankind, God says that human beings are very good. And so what we see in Genesis 1 is that God's creation of this physical realm, of everything that exists in the heavens and the earth, everything is good. It's perfect. It's what God desired to create. It's what God wanted it to be. The, the idea of perfection in Scripture is, is not perfection necessarily in everything being perfect like we think of it, but everything being the way that God created and designed it. I, yeah, I think yeah. one good way of thinking about that is maybe with Jesus. We say that Jesus was the perfect human. That doesn't mean that Jesus perfectly did everything. In, in, in other words, um, Jesus wasn't maybe the best carpenter ever. We, uh, he probably, his, Joseph was probably a carpenter. Jesus probably know, knew how to do that. Jesus being the perfect human being doesn't mean that he was the perfect carpenter uh, or something like that. But it does mean that Jesus perfectly lived human life in relation to God, that Jesus lived in the way that God created human beings to live, that is, without sin and perfect relationship with God and with creation and with other human beings. And so that's what we see within the entire creation is Genesis 1, is that idea of perfection, that everything was like God desired it for it to be. That's what God wanted to create. It wasn't like God made a mistake in creating this physical world. This is what God wanted to create, and he looked at it, and he said that it was good. And so the, that means that the physical world is not inherently bad. Yeah. God says the physical world is good. The physical world is what God desired to create, and so that's what he created, which means that the physical world is inherently good. The problem, we'll get to this more a little bit later, the problem is that the physical world has been corrupted. Human beings have been corrupted, infected by sin. And so sin is the problem, not anything in the physical world. You may have heard of things like Platonism, 
which is the philosophy of the philosopher Plato. Gnosticism, which is something that started rising up around the time of the New Testament, became popular right after the the writings of the New Testament. And so you may have heard those terms before, Platonism and Gnosticism. Both of those had beliefs that the physical world is inherently bad. Physicalness is bad. Physicalness was not God's intention. And so when you believe that, it leads to a lot of problems. Uh, For example, Gnosticism, at least forms of Gnosticism, taught that it was a lesser God that created the physical world. Because if the physical world's bad, God is perfect. God, at least the supreme God, the sovereign God, couldn't have created the physical world. Had to be some kind of lesser God. That's problematic. Uh, If the physical world is bad, uh, that led to people denying their physical needs to a point that is unhealthy and harmful uh, to their bodies. Uh, You also had people that would say that what we do in our bodies doesn't matter. So you can sin, particularly you can do things like have sex with whoever you want because nothing in the physical body really matters because that's not, you know, your true self is some spirit or soul that inhabits the body, that inhabits this physical world. But the physical world is bad. The physical world is is not our true selves. Physical world is not what God Uh, created. It was something else. So kind of do whatever you want with your bodies as long as kind of your mind assents and believes in God. All very problematic things. All things that I think most of us would agree is contrary to what Scripture teaches, not only about our bodies, not only about the world, but also about the way that we are to live and to treat our bodies and other people and the, the world. And so, From Genesis 1, we get that idea that the creation, the physical world, is inherently good. It's what God desired to create. Uh, And so, the problem being that sin has infected the physical world. But because the world is good, God's desire is not going to be to take us out of the world, but to say take sin out of the world. Because the problem's not the world, the problem's sin, Right? Uh, if a person gets sick with a disease, you don't kill the person to kill the disease. You kill the disease right. and save the person. The physical world is infected by the disease of sin. So you don't destroy and kill the physical world to kill the sin. You kill the sin and save God's creation that at the very beginning, before sin was good, it was perfect. It's what God desired. And this idea of the goodness of God's creation means that the entire earth, the entire creation, is was created by God to be the perfect dwelling place for humankind and for God. We, we've talked about this passage before in previous episodes. Genesis one twenty eight says, God blessed them, Adam, Eve, human beings, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And when we've talked about this passage before, we've highlighted how God gives the instruction to human beings to fill the entire earth 
to multiply, to spread humankind throughout the entire earth and to have dominion over everything on the earth. And we've talked about how that's connected to the idea of us being created as image bearers of God, that as image bearers of God, we are God's royal representatives. And so we're meant to reflect God back into the world. And so because of that, God gives humankind this kind of royal vocation, this royal job to reflect God back into the world by being God's stewards of the entire creation, to fill the whole earth, to work the land, to have dominion and to rule over everything on the earth as God's representatives. That was God's intention for the creation of the entire physical world is to be the perfect dwelling place for human beings, but also for God. Uh, It's interesting, and I wish we had more time to delve into this, but uh, there's been a compelling argument that's been made that the creation account in Genesis 1 corresponds to the creation of a temple, a temple being a dwelling place for some kind of God, that the creation account in Genesis 1 corresponds to the creation of a temple in the ancient Near East, which, as we've talked about, is the culture in which the Old Testament was written. And if that's true then what we see is that God intended to create the earth not only to be the perfect dwelling place for humankind, but also to be a dwelling place for him. And I think we see evidence of that when we uh, Genesis talks about God walking in the Garden of Eden. So you have the idea that the physical world was created as the perfect place for human beings and God to dwell. Human beings and God would dwell together on earth human beings would fill the earth would work the earth would have dominion over the earth would reflect god back in the earth as they dwelled in this perfect place for everything for creatures mm-hmm. for human beings for god they were all supposed to live perfectly and that's actually where you get the idea of shalom in the old testament uh so if The physical world was created to be this perfect dwelling place for everything, creatures, human beings, God. Then that means it was also created for everything to exist in perfect harmony. And the idea of shalom or peace in the Old Testament is the idea of harmony. Uh, Shalom means that everything is whole. It's complete. Uh, It's in its proper place. It's functioning like God designed it. And so the idea of shalom in Genesis 1 and 2 is that everything is in right relationship with everything else. We as human beings are in a right relationship with God. We're in a right relationship with our fellow human beings. And we're in a right relationship with the creation itself. That's the image of goodness and perfection in Genesis 1. God created this physical realm. It's good. It's what God intended. And God intended for this physical realm to be the perfect dwelling place for creatures, for human beings, and for himself. The creation was created as a temple for God to dwell with his creation. And everything's living in perfect harmony. 
Human beings are living in perfect harmony with human beings. Human beings are living in perfect harmony with God. Human beings are living in perfect harmony with the creation by reflecting God back into the creation, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it, having dominion, working the ground. That's the image in Genesis 1 and 2. That was God's intention in what he created. The problem we'll see in just a moment, is when sin comes in and wrecks havoc on everything that we just talked about. Right, before we get into that, you can already see how some of this starts to get, um, starts to get so dense as a concept, uh, because the, the whole idea of, uh, dwelling place, uh, for God with his people, right, that's, that moves us into, tabernacle discussion that moves us into the temple that moves us into uh holy spirit related things in the new testament and so we have a big thread there uh between old and new uh and then even the shalom peace and all of this that is half of jerusalem that last part is having to deal with peace jerusalem god's people israel were supposed to be this place of harmony and peace and bring all others to it as light of the world, which then brings us into, you know, Matthew chapter five, light of the world. That's not a new idea. That's a continued idea. So you can already see, even with just those couple pieces, how huge this concept is and how multifaceted this concept is. It just goes everywhere. Um, so trying to overview as much as possible. Uh, I, we'll move out of one chapter here <laughs> into another. Go ahead, Spencer. I wish we, I, I was going to say, I, I wish we could get more into, uh, I mean, we could just spend so much time on how you see those things moving through. Cause the idea of, of, you know, temple, right. God dwelling. Yeah. Uh, God all, all throughout scripture is dwelling with his creation, but it, it's not in the way that he intended, right? You have the tabernacle yes. where God dwells, and then you have the temple where God dwells. And then Jesus comes and is said to tabernacle or dwell among us. Yes. like, yep. And then uh, Jesus ascends and God comes and dwells or tabernacles within us. And then the image of heaven we get in Revelation 21 is the new Jerusalem coming down, Jerusalem being where the temple was, which is symbolic for the dwelling place of God. Um, God's always been trying to dwell with his creation. We just do a good job of messing it up. Sin does yes. a good job of messing it up. So let's talk about that, because right after the right after the story begins, the big story uh, happens here in Genesis two gives us a little bit more of uh, a a fo we'll say a focused um, a focused perspective on the creation uh, specifically of uh, those made in God's image. We move right into Genesis chapter three and the fall. Here, Spencer, uh, tell us a little bit about the fall. So, when sin enters the picture in Genesis three, it D destroys the the harmony the, the the shalom the perfection all of those intentions for the creation that we talked about uh, from Genesis one and two and so particularly uh, there's 
we could spend all day talking about how that works, but there's a few things that I'd like to highlight. The first is how that relates to human beings. Uh, Human beings infected with sin, we now no longer perfectly reflect God's image. So we're intended to be God's royal representatives, to reflect God back into the world. And an image that I like to use for that is that human beings are like a mirror meant to reflect God off of us back into the world. Uh, Because of sin, our mirror becomes cracked. And it's not that we no longer reflect God's image, but we no longer do it perfectly. We, we, We no longer perfectly represent God in the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we treat mm-hmm. people and creation. It's like our uh, that mirror has been cracked. And so we no longer perfectly live out that royal vocation, that royal job that God gave to human beings and intended for human beings to fulfill by reflecting him back into the, the world. And, and we see that in a lot of different ways uh, in Genesis 3 once sin comes in. Uh, In Genesis 3 and verse 16, we're uh, told that God says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Well, that makes it difficult to fill the entire earth. What's one of the things that God intends for human beings to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the entire earth. Well, now that there's pain, intense pain, associated with childbearing and giving birth, well, now it becomes a bit harder for us as human beings to fulfill that part of the job that God's giving to us, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Uh, Next verse, Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says to the man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Well, Hmm. part of human beings' jobs is not just to fill the earth, but it's subdue it. It's to have dominion over it. it. Human beings were created to work the ground, to work the earth. Uh, well, now God says the ground is cursed. That's not going to be easy. You can still do it, but your work's not going to be easy. The, the ground's going to, in essence, fight you back. Creation's going to fight you back as you strive to do your job as image bearers. So mm. now it's difficult to do our work. Later on, In Genesis 3 and verse 23, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So the ultimate end of sin entering into the world is that human beings are kicked out of the garden. And the garden symbolizes for us the perfect harmony God intended for his creation. The Garden of Eden is the image of God's intention that we talked about from Genesis 1 and 2. When they're kicked out of the the garden, we see that perfect harmony, that peace, that shalom is now destroyed. 
and I we, we, we talked about how we, we see that peace, that harmony in the way that we as human beings live in relation to God, the way that we live in relation to one another, to our fellow human beings, and the way that we live in relationship to the creation, all of which is destroyed because of sin. Our relationship with God, I think we're all aware of the fact that sin separates us from God. Because of sin, we we can't live in, in perfect relationship with God any longer. Sin destroys the way that we relate to our fellow human beings. We, we hurt, we, we mistreat other human beings. We see that in Genesis 3, the second half of verse 16, uh, when God is speaking to the woman, he says, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. We, we see that now that sin enters into the world, uh, the the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, are going to relate to each other in a different way than they did before. There's going to be problems that are going to come in human beings' relationships with one another. And then sin destroys the harmony between human beings and the creation itself. Uh, you see that in Genesis 3, 17 through 19 that we read about the, the ground producing thorns and thistles that by the sweat of the man's brow, he'll be able to get food, to, to get bread, that the, the creation itself, the ground is cursed and impacted by sin. Sin doesn't just affect human beings. It, it Sin affects the entire created order, the entire physical world. It affects creation just as much as it does human beings. And now you don't have any of that harmony anymore. Not only do we as our our mirrors as human beings cracked, so we no longer perfectly reflect God, we can't fully fulfill the job that God's given to us. But all of that harmony, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with the creation itself is all fractured because of sin. And so what we're going to see, and we'll just show a little bit of evidence uh, for this, what we're going to see as you read throughout the rest of the Bible, the rest of the biblical story, the whole story is geared to solve that problem, to get us back to the original harmony that existed in Genesis 1 and 2 in the original creation that has now been destroyed, broken, fractured because of sin. I have some things to add there, but we don't have time for it right now. But uh, I'll, I'll just say very briefly, if you continue, even with like Adam, Adam calls his wife Eve after all of this stuff, speaking to Spencer's point of we view each other differently. Uh, Adam shifts now to seeing a uh, woman as uh, what she produces. His, his mindset on her has now changed too. So there's this kind of, well, that's not really how God intended us to view each other as value based on production, but that's what Adam does because sin changes the way that we relate uh, to one another. Uh, you can continue into Cain and Abel, and then when you get into the flood and six through nine and all of that in Genesis, it's retreading <laughs> this whole narrative uh, of Genesis one through three uh, with the days of, with creation elements in there and then sin comes again after they're back on the earth the same command be fruitful multiply 
the same sort of thing just replays itself over a second time there. So there's tons of this. I'm sure we'll get into more of that. Uh, but for our purposes today, uh, we jump from Genesis now into the, the prophets here, specifically Isaiah uh, chapter 65 and 66. Uh, Spencer, do you want to just, are we just going to read through these verses? Is that the, the plan yes. here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so we'll read through these here. New heavens and new earth uh, idea first. So you've got the original creation that we talked about, that perfection, that harmony destroyed by sin. Uh, so you have this problem of sin that particularly beginning in Genesis chapter 12 with the God's call of Abraham, God setting in motion a plan to deal with that problem. Uh, and so now let's start to think a little bit, kind of where we started about the the conclusion of the story, right? We've got the beginning yeah. where we started. We have this problem of sin that enters in. Okay, so now God's trying to solve this problem, and the problem is going to be solved at the end of the story, the conclusion, what what we call heaven. So what does that solution, that ending of the story look like? Well, in places such as Isaiah 65 and 66, the, the prophet begins to look forward to the ending of the story, to the final solution to all of this mess and problem of sin. And notice the language that Isaiah uses. In Isaiah 65 and verse 17, he says, For I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. What does that language sound like? It takes us back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah, now looking towards the end of the story, we have God saying, I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a new creation. There's going to be a restoration of the original heavens and earth where the former things, that's talking about this little interim of sin between Genesis 3 and the end of the world, those things are not going to be remembered as we go back to the beginning, as we go back to the way that I intended for things to be, as I create new heavens and the new earth, a new creation. Um, in uh, Isaiah 66 and verse 22, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Again, as Isaiah looks to the end of the story, we have a reference, new heavens to new earth, which takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2, that the ending of the story is going to be reminiscent of the beginning of the story. And so that's where you get the idea that we've said before, that the story of the Bible isn't linear. It's not a line from point A to point B, but it's a circle from point A back to point A, the end of the story is the same as the beginning of the story. The story begins, God created the heavens and the earth. The end of the story, God says, I will create new heavens and a new earth. God's taking us back. He's taking his creation back to the way that he intended for it to be. And so we have a circular story 
that's presented for us. And when that happens, those problems that we saw in Genesis 3 begin to be solved. When God recreates things, when we have the new heavens and the new earth, uh, human beings' work is restored. In Isaiah 65 and verse 22, it says, They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. We'll now be able to work the creation, the ground, have dominion over the earth as God's representatives like God intended for human beings to have. When God creates the new heavens and the new earth, that shalom, that peace, that harmony is going to be restored. We're going to have perfect harmony with God. Isaiah 65, 23 and 24. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. That kind of even goes back to that work, that being fruitful and multiplying idea. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Harmony with God. We'll have harmony with other people. Isaiah 65, 19 and 20. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years shall be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred years will be considered accursed. You know, one of the ways that sin destroys human relationships the most is through death the fracturing of relationships in that way. And this image of the end of the story of new heavens and a new earth, that's not a thing. That that way that our relationship with our fellow human beings is destroyed is no more. But also our relationship with creation is renewed. Isaiah 65 and verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. You have this image of the wolf and the lamb feeding together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. It's the idea of even the created order, the harmony that we saw back at the beginning will be destroyed. And so when Isaiah looks forward to the end of the story, he takes us back to the beginning and says that we're going to end like we began with God recreating the physical realm in the way that he intended for it to be. And all of these problems, our royal vocation, the shalom, the harmony, all of that's going to be restored. You even have uh, the serpent call out in Isaiah 65, which at the very least makes you go, oh yeah, that sounds very Genesis 3-ish. And the language that's used there is food shall be dust. Uh, is part of that that curse there uh, as well. Just there, there's so much language that comes up that is either extremely coincidental or there's purpose behind Isaiah. And since the writer of Genesis and the writer of Isaiah both uh, came from the same inspired source, we're inclined to think that uh, 
there's something behind it. Uh, we jump from Isaiah now all the way into the New Testament. We told you this was going to be an overview, so jumping right into the New Testament now, uh, almost towards the end, but not quite Revelation, uh, we have Peter jumping in uh, on this discussion uh, with just a couple of verses here, but we'll we'll be back in this chapter, you know, in uh, 20 episodes or whatever. Uh, Spencer, talk to us about Second Peter 3 and what Peter says there. So the New Testament authors, such as Peter, we'll also look at Revelation uh, 21. So, so John, really even Jesus and his teaching, Paul, the, 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 New, the New Testament authors, in light of Jesus. So, right, the, the story we mentioned is circular, but the pinnacle of the story is Jesus. Uh, Jesus yeah. is what makes the circle come back around. It's through Jesus that God is doing this restoration, is solving this problem. So now that Jesus has come, he's died, he's, he's been raised, the New Testament authors realize this, that, hey, Jesus is the means by which God is going to do what he said through the prophet Isaiah he was going to do. New Testament writers such as Peter pick up that language from Isaiah and use that same yep. language from Isaiah which Isaiah is stealing from Genesis 1 and 2, to say, now look at Jesus. That that you saw in Genesis 1 and 2, that prophesied about in Isaiah, is now being done through what happened in the Messiah, Jesus. And so we have people like Peter in 2 Peter 3.13 who says, but in accordance with his promises, with God's promises, the promises throughout Scripture, the promises that God made in Isaiah 65 and 66, Peter says, we await for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. In other words, we await the restoration of the original creation in Genesis 1 and 2, where righteousness, where justice, where harmony, where all of that is going to be at home where all of that is going to be restored. The next verse, we have the word peace show up. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, while you're waiting for God to restore all this, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish. In other words, Peter's saying there's a peace that we can experience now as we await the culmination of peace where all things are back in harmony mm. like they were at the beginning. And John uses the exact same language in Revelation 21, which is a passage explicitly about heaven, about the end of the story. Uh, he says in Revelation 21 and verse 1, Then I saw new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So you have the first heaven and the first earth passed away. This uh, disharmonious existence that we have that came about by Genesis 3 has gone away. He says the sea is no more. Uh, again, if you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and verse 2, we have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Water in the ancient Near East is a symbol for chaos. So God brings yep. order to the chaos. Sin comes in in Genesis 3 and creates chaos once again. So the disharmony, the chaos that's caused by sin is all no more. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a restoration of the created order 
in the way that God originally intended for it to be, which brings about that shalom, that harmony once again. In verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 21, John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God has once again come and dwelled with his people, dwelled in his creation. What was God's intention in creating everything? It was to be the perfect dwelling place for creation, human beings, and God together. When John looks to the end of the story, he says all of this is going to be restored. God's going to come and dwell among his people once again. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, John says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the former things have passed away. Again, you see even the restoration of human relationship as death, pain, crying, all of that is done away. And God comes and dwells within his creation, within his temple, once again, like he desired to at the very beginning. But that has all been destroyed and ruined because of this problem of sin. Uh, nothing to add uh, there for today, um, but a couple questions. Uh, how, how does all of this kind of wrap up in our overview, and why does it even matter enough for us to talk about this over so many lessons? Right. So when when you look at the image of creation given us in Genesis 1 and 2, you see that destroyed by sin in Genesis 3. And then you see God's plan, this looking forward to God solving that by bringing us back to the beginning. Isaiah does it. Peter does it. John does it. Everybody does it. Uh, What we get is that scripture from beginning to end presents the conclusion of God's story. Uh, What we like to call heaven it's actually interesting. The Bible doesn't really like to call it heaven. Um, I will, we'll, we'll get into that more moving forward. That's uh, not really what Scripture likes to use. It, it likes New heavens and new earth is really one of its favorite ways of, of talking about the ending of God's story. Uh, but Scripture uh, from, the, from Genesis to Revelation presents the conclusion of God's story as new heavens and a new earth which is reminiscent of the perfection, of the harmony, of the shalom that existed in the original heavens and the earth. The new heavens and the new earth takes us, the ending of the story takes us back to the beginning of the story. And so the conclusion of God's story is not for Christians to escape the corruption of this world, to exist in some disembodied spiritual world, spiritual realm, to sit on the clouds playing a harp for all of eternity. That's not the image that Scripture gives us. The image that Scripture gives us is that the conclusion of God's story that is for heaven is for God to come and dwell with his creation in a new earth, to dwell with his people as we live in perfect harmony with one another, with God, and with the creation itself. And there's more than one way to see this this working out. Uh, And I'll tell you the the way that I see it working out, and then uh, I'll let 
Jack tell uh, his way of seeing it working out. The, the way I see this I, idea is that this earth that we live on now is going to be recreated. God's going to come. The new Jerusalem, as the, the language that John uses in Revelation 21, is going to come down to earth. And this earth is going to be me, remade. It's going to be recreated into the place that God intended for it to be in Genesis 1 and 2, that this earth is going to become the perfect creation, the perfect temple, the perfect dwelling place for God, human beings, and creation that God intended. That's the end of the story. That's what heaven's going to be. Again, it's not, well, we need to escape the corruption of this earth. We're going to live in some disembodied state. We're going to float on the clouds, yada, yada, yada. No, God's going to come and remake this earth into what scripture calls the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to remake it into what it was intended to be at the beginning by taking out the problem of sin. Again, I would argue that you don't solve an infection in a person by killing the person to kill the disease. You kill the disease and save the person. The problem is not the physical world. The problem is is sin. And so heaven, the conclusion of the story is let's take sin out of the world and make the world what it was supposed to be in the first place rather than just destroying everything and living in some weird, disembodied, spiritual something, uh, which is an idea that Scripture doesn't seem to present for us. Again, we're taken back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, my thought on that is only slightly different because it's, it's uh, and some of it is because of the language that Peter uses and that John uses a little bit, though. I'm open to I'm open to Spencer's way of thinking on this, uh, but my conclusion would ultimately be the same, though with still the the destruction of those things and a brand new one being made. But uh, I definitely don't think the disembodied cloud harping and all of that stuff uh, either. So uh, I, I guess I'm killing the I guess I'm uh, in the analogy I'm killing the body to uh, rid the to rid the disease, but uh, the body will be resurrected diseaseless. There'll be a new body, <laughs> this new maybe earth. the way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the way to think about it. So, uh, so only slightly differing as far as that goes, but otherwise, uh, our conclusions of what what it will be like after the fact, uh, I would say, are are consistent uh, with each other here. But we'll do more of uh, we'll do yeah. more of a debate kind of thing uh, later. To we'll we'll dive we into this more as we Absolutely. move forward from now. Yeah, when we get into Peter. <laughs> yeah, as as we move forward, we'll we'll kind of dive into a little bit more what this this looks like. But but the point is is that Scripture presents that circular idea that the end of the story yes. is the beginning yes that this idea of, of of a new earth whether it's it's on this earth which is kind of where i lean or this earth being destroyed and a new completely new earth but still reminiscent of what we see in genesis 1 and 2 being created yeah. as kind of jack would yeah. would lean that way but but the point is is that the story as scripture presents it is not one that ends with some spiritual realm disembodied existence uh, which is what uh, 
a, a lot of Christians tend to believe and think about heaven. And I, I just want to real quickly mention a couple problems with that. Uh, the kind of plan now is to kind of write some articles uh, on this, most likely, um, and kind of delve into it more. But there, at least from my perspective, there are quite a few problems with thinking of heaven just as some spiritual disembodied realm. And like I said, I'll mention a couple of them. Uh, the first is, how can we say that God's original creation was good, as God says it was, and that human beings are very good? as God says that they were, if God's ultimate plan is to destroy the creation and to destroy the human body. To my mind, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. If it truly was good, if that was what God intended to create, why would he just destroy it instead yeah. of renewing it? The entire physical creation and human beings and the body and all those kinds of things. And that kind of leads into a second thing of what kind of God are we left with if we say that the original creation was just plan one, knowing, God knowing that he was just going to destroy everything and do something different, why not start with a physical realm? Why create a spiritual one just to destroy it and to do something completely different? Sure. Uh, to me, it makes more sense for the original creation to be God's one and only plan. And so the end of the story or heaven to be a renewal of what he desired to create at the very beginning. If God is all knowing, why even do the physical thing if that was never his intention or the end of the plan anyways? To, to me, that, that doesn't make sense. And we're left with, a, to me, not a very good image of, of God if that's what God was planning to do. Uh, what view of the human body or of the creation itself, this physical world, are we left with if the ultimate goal is to escape it? And to allow it to be destroyed. All of a sudden, it doesn't really matter too much. The physical, what we do with yeah, the body, what yeah. we do to the world. We're kind of left with some of those problems of Platonism and Gnosticism. If, well, everything's going to be destroyed and there's going to be something different. Um, so why does changing the world matter if the world's just going to be destroyed? Why does caring for the world or bodies matter if they're just going to be destroyed? Uh, why did Jesus need to become incarnate? Why did he need to become physical? Why did he need to take on a body? If God was just going to destroy all this, uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes. A soul yeah. can save a soul. A spirit, a spiritual God can save a spiritual person. But for Jesus had to become a human being, had to take on a physical body to save physical human beings. Jesus had to be resurrected so that our physical bodies can be resurrected. That leads to another thing. The resurrection is unimportant it means nothing if it's not physical. There was no concept in the first century of a non-physical resurrection. Resurrection was always literal bodies rising from the ground. So the hope of resurrection is nothing if the heaven's just spiritual. There will be no resurrection if heaven's just spiritual because we would all agree that our spiritual doesn't die, our bodies die. You can't resurrect something that never died. You can only resurrect something that has died, and that's our bodies. It's the only thing resurrection can be in reference to. So the resurrection gets thrown out the window if heaven is anything else. I feel like else. we'll get questions on that for an episode. Um, so <laughs> we'll talk about we'll, that more. <laughs> we'll deal with that probably when we get for to sure. the, the, the New Testament stuff and we start getting into the idea of, of resurrection. But there's a whole host of problems, not just the fact that 
that spiritual idea is not how the New Testament presents the story. And so I just real quickly want to conclude. Again, we'll talk about this probably in article format moving forward. But why does this matter? Why does it even matter what we believe about the end of the story? And the reason it matters is because what we believe about the end of the story impacts how we live as a part of that story. If we get the story wrong, we're going to get wrong some of the ways that we live as characters as a part of that story because we're going to be living in a slightly different living as a part of a slightly different story. Hmm. If if God's story ends with heaven, if it ends with God coming down to earth to dwell with his creation as scripture presents it, then our job as the people of God is to take part in God's story by bringing as much of heaven to earth as we possibly can. If the end of the story is taking us back to the beginning, is God coming down and recreating the the earth in, in some form or fashion, then our job as God's people is to take part in that story, is to try to do that as best as we can. And so our job as the church becomes to bring as much heaven to earth as we possibly can. Uh, And so what that does is, one, it changes our view of the world. We no longer look at the world as just an evil place that we can't wait to escape, but the world becomes a field ripe for harvest, a field ripe for redemption, a field that God is desiring to redeem, not something that we're just waiting to escape which means that we have a responsibility to try and solve the world's problems as best as we can to bring about things like justice in the world now here physically because that's what God's going to do at the end of the story. And that's what we're trying to bring as much as we can to earth now as we await the fullness of that uh, when God does it at the end of time. It means that we care about people, we care about physical bodies because God does. And they're going to be a part of heaven. There is a resurrection. So physical bodies, taking care of the poor, the the homeless, feeding people, clothing people, that becomes even more important because we realize that physical bodies are going to be a part of the end of the story. And we're trying to bring as much heaven to earth now. It means that we do things like steward God's creation because that is what we as God's image bearers were created to do uh, because that's... Part of what we will be doing in heaven, I do believe that we will be working in heaven because that's what we were created to do at the very beginning. We'll talk about that more as we move forward. And because the creation is going to be a part of God's redemptive plan. Romans 8, go and read that. We'll talk about that in more detail moving forward. If heaven's not a physical earth, Romans 8 makes zero sense. I don't know what you do with it. You don't Mm. do, you mark it out with a, a Sharpie or something like that, because it doesn't, it did, I, I don't understand how Romans 8 of creation being a part of redemption makes sense if the end of the story, if heaven isn't physical, recreated earth in some form or fashion. So we have a responsibility to the creation now, because again, we're bringing heaven to earth now. We're living now in light of the end of the story. That's, I believe, the job of the church. And so I think it's very important what we believe the end of that story to be, because it impacts how we live now in light of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Um, no more to add to that. Thank you for hanging with us through 
what was a, a pretty long episode in the future plan will be to to cut some of these down as we break these pieces up but again this is a big subject and so a uh, big overview episode but uh, ultimately uh, lots of other episodes focusing in on specific texts and breaking them down as well as articles all at thinkingtheologically.org please check out the website share the website Go to the Facebook page and like it if you uh, have not done that already. Uh, Share this with other people so that they can learn how to think theologically as well. And please send us your questions to strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Facebook or Spencer on Twitter, of course, always. Uh, Barring any uh, bad weather or sicknesses or tornadoes or whatever, we'll see you next time.